0: Um, our topic this morning is Revelations, Millennium, and the Lake of Fire. And before we get into God's Word, let's once again bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for this blessed Sabbath day that you've given to us, Lord. A day that we have set aside, Lord, that you have set aside And it's our special date with you. We pray, Lord, that as we now open your word and study it, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that we would um, experience a blessing, Lord, this morning from your word, and that we would see that you are a God of love and that you care so much, Lord, for each person on this planet, Lord. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you that you sent him to die for our sins, Lord, that we might have eternal life and not perish lord and so we pray that you would bless us this morning as we dig into your word give us understanding we pray in jesus name amen so the salesman noticed that she was a little bit different her hair her clothing and her jewelry were all a little bit different but he couldn't quite uh figure out just what was it that set her apart as they were speaking together she said i don't go to church anymore I used to, but now I don't, although I sort of do. Curious, he asked her what she meant by that, and then she said, Well, when I was growing up, I went to church every week. And in sermon after sermon, the pastor would talk about an eternally burning hell where sinners would be would, would burn forever and ever uh, in excruciating pain. And I wondered about a God that would do that to people. And finally, I decided that if that was what God was like, then I didn't want to have anything to do with God. And so I quit going to church, she spoke with an air of determination. And then she added, but I still go, sort of. She read the question on his face and said, well, these days, I'm a witch. She explained how she gathered regularly with other witches, sort of like church, she said. And she described some of what they did. And it all made sense to the salesman now. The way she looked, her hair, her clothing, and um, her makeup. And the salesman realized the sad tragedy of this situation. Here was a young lady who had been driven out of the church and into the hands of the devil himself by an idea that is very common in Christian churches today. Many people were taught as children that uh, what this young woman was taught, that God will burn unrepentant sinners forever and ever uh, for the the sins that they've committed in this short lifetime. So this morning, we're going to take a look at what the Bible says on this subject, because the Bible is our authority. Amen? and that's what we want to follow. We want to follow God's word. And we'll see um, the way that we understand hellfire, and we'll see the way that this impacts our view of God. Hell is a hot topic, isn't it? It is not its a hot topic, and it, and it has been misunderstood by many people uh, throughout the centuries. Hellfire, as many people understand it, has caused many to doubt God's character of love. And this morning, we want to cut uh, we want to seek to cut through the misunderstandings and arrive at Bible truth. But in order to understand how, we need to, to look at it in its chronological context in the Bible, which means that we need to also understand the millennium or the 1,000 years as is mentioned in the Bible. So let's jump straight in our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in Revelation 20, so if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible, I'd invite you to pull it out. We'll also have the verses there on the screen as well. Revelation chapter 20, and uh, taking a look here, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Then I, that is John, saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his, in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for how long? A thousand years. A thousand years. It continues in verse 3, it says, And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls, that is, People who had been beheaded for, the, for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Verse 5 And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Verse six, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for how long? A thousand years. Now you'll notice that the Bible here speaks of a second death and I'll be straightforward with you this morning and just come out and say it, but I believe that hell is the second death and I will explain as we continue on. Now, if you have a second death, that means that there must be a first death, right? And we saw last night, we talked about the first death, you know, that we die and we rest in the grave and we sleep until when? Until the second coming of Jesus, until the resurrection morning. And uh, the, the Bible continues here. It says, those who have part in this first resurrection, when Christ comes, it says, blessed and holy And the second death has no power over them. So why does the second death have no power over them? It's because they're saved, right? It's because they're saved. They've committed their lives to Christ. Now, there are actually two resurrections in Scripture. Jesus actually talked about this in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. He said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So here we have the millennium book ended by two resurrections. We have first the resurrection of life, where the righteous dead and the righteous uh, where the righteous dead are resurrected at the coming of Christ, and then we have the second resurrection, or the resurrection of condemnation. And this happens at the end of the 1000 years at the end of the millennium now how do we know that the wicked are raised at the end of the thousand years well the bible tells us here in revelation 20 verse 5 we saw it already but we'll read it again here it says but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished now you've heard me say before throughout our uh, unlocking prophecy series that there will be two groups of people at the end of time there will be the righteous and there will be the wicked, and uh, that is correct. But let me explain it just a little bit further. Um, There will be the righteous living, those that are alive when Christ returns, and then there will be the righteous dead, those that have fallen asleep, those that are resting in the graves waiting for the coming of Christ. And then there are the wicked living, those that are alive when Christ comes, and then there are the wicked dead, those that are sleeping in the graves um, when Jesus comes, that is the wicked there. So everyone that's ever lived falls into one of these categories. And if that makes sense, say amen. Amen. Okay, so there are five events that that begin the millennium. Number one, the first is the the second coming of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, hopefully that will be all of us, amen, Hopefully, uh, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, that is, those who are dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a whisper, no, with a shout, with the voice of the arch- archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first we've seen that this is going to be a loud event this is going to be a spectacular event the greatest event the world has ever seen the second coming of jesus verse 17 it says then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them where in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the lord friends how many of you long for that day Amen. I cannot wait. Paul also describes this event in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 53. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We looked at this verse last, last night. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That is, we are not all going to be dead before Christ comes, but that all will be changed. Amen. We will all be changed. And it continues, it says, We will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Hallelujah, friends. The Bible continues. It says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So we will be given immortality at the coming of Christ. So from these verses, we see at the second coming of Jesus that the righteous dead are resurrected. They're caught up to meet the Lord in the air at his coming. And number three... The living righteous will be translated. That means that they will go to heaven without dying, without seeing death. Now, what about the wicked? Well, the Bible says that they are slain by the brightness of Christ's coming. Second Thessalonians 1, through 7-9 says, And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Thus, the wicked living will be destroyed by the presence and the glory of the Lord when he comes. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 says, for our God is a consuming fire. So sinners cannot stand in the presence of God and live. The righteous will be able to stand in his presence only by the mercy and grace of God. Amen. Because they will be transformed, they will be given new bodies. They will they will not be sinning any longer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 describes this. It says, "And then the lawless no, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy it with the brightness of his coming." Now, what about Satan? What happens to Satan during the thousand years? Well, Satan will be bound at the beginning of the thousand years. Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 and 2 says, "...then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years." And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. So here we see that the devil is bound to the bottomless pit. Now, what is this bottomless pit? Well, the phrase comes from the Greek word abusos, which can also be translated, which can be translated abyss. And now in the LXX, or the Greek Septuagint, which is the, uh, the, the, the Old Testament translated into Greek, it was translated into Greek before um, Christ came, uh, probably 2nd century BC, and uh, this is the word that is used there, the Greek word abusos. This same word is used in describing the world, uh, the earth, in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where it says that the earth was without form and void. It uses the word abusos. So what exactly is Satan bound with? Well, Satan is a spiritual being, is he not? He's a spiritual being. So would he be bound with literal chains or spiritual chains? Spiritual chains, I believe. Uh, the Bible says um, that he is bound with chains of darkness to the desolate earth with no one to tempt. You can look further into that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, and also Jude, chapter 6. All right, sorry, Jude, verse 6. And uh, he's, so he's stuck here. Satan is stuck here on this earth to think about all the evil that he's caused over the last 6,000 years of human history. Jeremiah chapter 4 describes the condition of the earth during the millennium. It says, I beheld the earth, and indeed it was how? It was without form and void, and the heavens, they had no lights. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth, I beheld, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heaven had fled. I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end. So here we see that Jeremiah saw the earth void of people. All the cities were broken down, the scriptures say right there, and it was like a wilderness. It was desolate. So Satan is bound during the thousand years to this desolate world with absolutely no one to tempt, no one to deceive, because the wicked dead are still in their graves, right? They're still in the graves until after the millennium, after the one thousand years. So where are God's people during the millennium, well, the righteous living and the righteous dead are now in heaven during this time. So, what what would they be doing during this 1,000 years up in heaven? Well, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, as we saw, it says, "And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls, that is, the people who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God." Who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hand, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So the righteous—that is, those who witnessed for Jesus, those who shared the good news of Jesus Christ with others, those who were faithful to the word of God, those who didn't worship the beast and his image or receive his mark—the righteous say they sit on thrones and judgment is committed to them the bible says so paul paul understood this concept of judgment during the millennium and he said this in first corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 to 3 he says dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world will be judged by you are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So Paul makes it clear that God's people will judge the world, but not only that, they will judge angels. Remember that one-third of the angels in heaven fell with Lucifer down to this earth. They were cast out of heaven, the Bible says, Now way back in our fourth presentation here in Unlocking Prophecy, we had a presentation on heaven's final judgment, the judgment hour in which we live in, uh, which is found in Revelation 14, 6, and 7. And we covered the first phase of the judgment process, and uh, this first phase is called the Pre-Advent Investigative Judgment, okay? And uh, we will explain more, but there are actually three phases to the judgment. Uh, we, we saw that all of heaven and all of the onlooking universe is interested in who their new next-door neighbors are going to be. You know, if you were, if you were uh, one of the onlooking uh, members of the, of the universe, or if you were an angel in heaven, you would want to know who was, co- who was coming to move in next to you, right? Especially if you had witnessed all the things that we've s- seen here on this earth. And so they wanted to make sure that we were safe to bring to heaven and that sin would not rise up again. Remember that the judgment isn't because God doesn't know who will be saved and who will be lost. God already knows this because he knows each one of us intimately. In the second phase, the post-millennial Advent judgment, uh, and during, so the second phase is the post-Advent millennial judgment. That is after the coming of Christ. This is the millennium in heaven. During this time, we will find out why certain people were saved and why certain people were lost. It's like a judicial review. I'm sure there's going to be some surprises when we get to heaven and we see certain people there, right? And we see certain people that might not be there. And, that, and we were, we're going to want to know why. And at this time, God will give us the answers to our questions. He will re, during this time, God will reveal that he did all that he could to save each Person on this planet, and that those who aren't there aren't there because they rejected Christ. They rejected the gospel. They rejected the invitation to come to Jesus. And the third and final phase is the post millennial executive judgment, which takes place at the end of the millennium and it culminates in the total and final destruction of the devil and his angels, as well as sin and sinners. This is hellfire, which is what we're about to take a look at here in a few moments. So finally, the millennium closes. The thousand years finish in heaven. And there are five things that happen at the end of the millennium. First, the wicked dead are raised. All the wicked that have ever lived. This is going to be a huge number of people. Revelation chapter 20 verse 5 says, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years we're finished, So they've just been sleeping during the, the millennium. They don't know. Remember, the dead do not, uh, they do not, um, they're not aware of the passage of time. So for them, it doesn't seem like a thousand years have gone by. It just seems like they died. And the next thing they know, they're being resurrected at the resurrection of condemnation here described in verse 5. Next, the new Jerusalem descends. Revelation 21 verse 2 says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband." So as the as all the wicked are raised, then Satan is released from the chains of darkness, and he goes out to tempt them. He goes out to tempt the wicked once more. And it's described here in Revelation 20, verses 7 to 10. It says, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand on the sea. Friends, this is going to be a large multitude of people, as the sand on the sea, it says, and Satan goes to deceive them. It says that they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. What city would that be? That's the New Jerusalem, which is descending. And uh, it says that, and fire came down from God out of heaven, and devoured them. Friends, this is hellfire. Hellfire totally consumes, it totally devours the wicked at the end of time. Hell takes place here on this earth, not some strange place underground. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 continues, it says, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So here the wicked, deceived by Satan, they're deceived by Satan into thinking that they can go and take the city. And friends, they try to take by force what they would not, what they refuse to receive by grace. God wanted them all to be in the city, right? God wanted them to all be in the city, but they have rejected the invitation. They have rejected God's grace. And now they are on the outside of the city, but yet they're trying to force their way into the city. Now, they want in just like those who were outside the ark wanted to get in once the rain started to fall. But friends, it is simply too late by this point. They have rejected all the opportunities that God has given them, and it's very clear that they have not repented at all. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So after the wicked and the devil are destroyed, the next thing John sees is a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was also no more sea. Now it's interesting that John brings out that there was no more sea. Where is John writing the book of Revelation from? He's writing the book of Revelation from the island of Patmos. What was separating him from his loved ones, from his friends? It was the sea. So it's interesting that John includes, and there was no sea. There's no more separation on the new earth and in in the new heavens, friends. No longer will we be separated from our loved ones and our friends. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. No more death, no more heartache, no more suffering on the new earth. In fact, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus knew that he would one day recreate the earth, and he would recreate it beautiful for the righteous. So let's review five events that close the millennium in heaven. Number one, the wicked are raised. Number two, the new Jerusalem descends out of heaven. And number three, Satan is released from his chains and he goes out to tempt. Verse four, or sorry, the fourth thing is the wicked and Satan are destroyed and then the earth is made new. So now that we understand the sequence of events surrounding the millennium, let's take a look at this hot topic of hell. The word hell occurs 54 times in the King James Bible and 31 times. It occurs in the Old Testament, where it is translated from the Hebrew word Sheol. And this word simply means grave. So Sheol means grave. In the New Testament, the word hell is translated from the Greek word Hades and Gehenna. The word Gehenna means a place of burning or destruction. And the word Hades simply means grave, just like the Old Testament word Sheol, Okay. So every time you read in the New Testament the word Hades, uh, that is the same uh, corresponding word in the Old Testament as Sheol, which means grave. So here are the three questions that we're going to answer right now about hell. Number one, when is hell? Number two, where is hell? And number three, how long does hell last? Now, we've already actually answered the first two of these questions. Number one, when is hell? Well, hell is not happening right now. Amen? That is good news. No one is burning in hell at this moment. It happens at the end of the millennium when fire devours the wicked, as we have seen. Number two, where is hell? Well, hell happens here on this earth. The wicked are raised from their graves, and they try to attack God's people, the holy city, and 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 hell uh, and fire comes out from God and devours them. So we see that hell is actually on the surface of this earth. The earth becomes the lake of fire. And number three, how long is hell? Well, this question can be easily answered. We've learned from last night's presentation that humans are not naturally immortal, right? We are mortal, which means that we are subject to death. In fact, we saw last night in 1st Corinthians 15:52 that immortality is actually a gift from God that we receive at the second coming of Jesus. For the Bible says, "For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality." And we see that this happens at the second coming of Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the Bible says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord." So here, when Paul mentions the word death, he is particularly referring to the second death. The wages of sin is eternal separation from God. It is the second death. But praise God, we can accept the free gift. Amen? We can accept that free gift and have eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved who? The world world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. But have everlasting life so at the so friends people will either perish from hell fire the bible says right there that they will perish those that do not believe uh, in jesus or they will have everlasting life those are the two options to live forever burning in hell as some say you know many people say that people will be burning in hell throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity Friends, if that was the case, that would actually be eternal life. That means that the wicked and the righteous would both be given eternal life. But notice that that is not the option here. In this verse here, it says that people will either perish, that is, they will be completely destroyed, or they will have everlasting life. It's absolutely critical to understand this simple point. If man is not immortal, then there is no need for hell to burn throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Let's put it another way. The foundational reason that hell has been assumed to be eternal is that man has assumed to be that man has been assumed to be immortal and thus indestructible. So if man is not immortal, then there is no need to insist that hell is going to last throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Clearly that the, uh, the Bible teaches clearly that hell is hot enough to destroy and eradicate sin and sinners forever. Amen? Revelation chapter 20, verse 9, the Bible says, They went up on the breadth of the earth, that is the wicked, and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Jesus taught that hellfire would completely destroy a person. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 says, and Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Thus, hell ultimately destroys a person completely. It doesn't, uh, the body, you know, they don't continue to burn throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. They will be destroyed. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 18, describes the destruction of Satan. Satan is actually going to be destroyed at the end of time here, friends. The Bible says, Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. And I turned you into ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. So contrary to popular belief, the devil with his pitchfork is not in charge of hell. Amen? He is not in charge of hell. As we see from this verse here, Satan will be reduced to ashes in hellfire. Look how hot hell is here as it's described in Matthew chap- Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 and 3. It says, For behold, the day is coming. Notice, hell was not burning in Malachi's day. He says, The day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be as stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord. So those who do not love God will not be given immortality. They will be burned up and turned to ashes. Notice also that this will be done on the day that the Lord does this, meaning hellfire is not going to last forever. Psalm chapter 37 verse 10 says, For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Verse 20 says, But the wicked shall do what? They shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. Okay, so are we all tracking here? So, But what about eternal fire? What about this concept of eternal fire? Well, the Bible speaks about eternal fire in Jude uh, 7. It says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as what? An example. example, Suffering the vengeance of what? Eternal fire. fire. So Jude verse 7 tells us explicitly that Sodom and Gomorrah are an example of eternal fire. Now, are Sodom and Gomorrah still burning today? No, they are not. Clearly they are not. Second Peter chapter two, verse six tells us exactly what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, "And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly." So these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were burned up completely to ashes, showing us what would later happen to those that live ungodly. The Bible also speaks of everlasting punishment. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46 says, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This simply means that punishment that the punishment has everlasting or eternal consequences the results of hellfire are, are eternal friends the wicked will be completely destroyed and will no longer exist the results are eternal now notice the phrase is everlasting punishment not eternal punishing there's a big difference there the only reason some in someone would insist that this phrase means eternal conscious torment is if they already believed in the non-biblical teaching that man is naturally immortal and as we saw last night that came from greek pagan philosophy so how long is forever and ever well let's look at what the bible says it may it may seem like an unusual question for some of you uh, but the bible does use the word forever in the context of eternal punishment Revelation chapter 14, 11 says, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and who receives the mark of his name. Here's another statement in Revelation 20, verse 10. It says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But notice that in the verse just before this, it says, "However, that fire came down from God out of heaven, and devoured them." So you have to look at the context there. So evidently, "forever and ever" is the same as "devoured." They are devoured. And friends, when you devoured your breakfast this morning, well, hopefully all of you ate a good breakfast. Um, you didn't. You didn't uh, devour it forever and ever, did you? Devoured means that you simply consumed. All of it. Forever means as long as a thing shall last. So in the Bible, forever and ever doesn't always mean forever and ever like we think of forever and ever. And I'll tell you why. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 6, the Bible says Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him how long? Forever. Now, how, uh, we see that, um, how long did this slave actually serve his master? Until he died, right? Which was forever for him. Another example of this is 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 22. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned. Then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there, how long? Forever. But six, six verses later... In the passage, it says that Samuel was there for as long as he lived. Now, Samuel is not still in the temple, right? The temple was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans. So there's no possibility Samuel is still there. He died much longer, <laughs> a long time before that. But the Bible says that he would remain there forever. So he was there as long as he lived. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, "'Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights.'" So he was there just three days and three nights, but in the next chapter, Jonah describes it in a different way. In Jonah chapter 2 verse 6, he says, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So how long was Jonah in the whale for? Three days and three nights, but to him it seemed like forever and friends it would have seemed like forever for you and for me if we were in a similar situation (laughs) any any length of time inside the belly of a well is going to seem like forever (laughs) the word forever has to be interpreted and translated in a way that is consistent with the original languages and is also consistent with everything else that the bible teaches on the subject of hell So hellfire will last as long as it takes for the wicked to be completely burned up, including the devil and his angels. And God doesn't enjoy this process, friends. He doesn't take delight in the death of the wicked because he loves each and every one of us. Amen. He loves the wicked. He loves, he even loves Satan. You know, I believe Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 26, it says that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his way and live? For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Friends, God, God wants people to turn to him and live. He wants people to experience eternal life. With him. Second Peter three, verse nine says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, that is, the the promise of his coming, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, friends, we see here that God wants all to come to repentance, but will all repent? Unfortunately not. But God has blessed us with time at this moment to spread the gospel friends to help others to accept jesus as their lord and savior we need to make the most of this time amen the next verse says but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up therefore since all these things will be dissolved What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look forward to what? A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We can look forward to that as believers. Amen? No more... Sin, no more pain, no more heartache will be in heaven or on the new earth, friends. And that is good news. It's good news that God wants each and every one of us to be there. An additional good news is found in Nahum chapter 1, verse 9, because it says there that affliction will not rise up again the second time. Friends, sin will be completely eradicated from this universe in the fires of hell. And thank God it will never rise up again. It will not. It will not uh, come back again. It's, it's a one-time thing, and sin is on its way out. Amen? But imagine, friends, as, as some say, that, that hell is, is burning right now even. Uh, imagine that God reserves a corner of the universe for all of eternity that, uh, that people will be burning in hell and writhing in pain. That's, that's unimaginable for a God of love to do. Imagine traveling through the universe from one place to another knowing that over that that over there in this little corner of the universe some of the people you know are suffering indescribable pain and agony. A perfect universe with a permanent stain? I don't think so, friends. Instead, God is going to clean up this universe. Sin and suffering will be gone once and for all. The fire that God sends is a fire that consumes. It's a fire that completely devours the wicked. Now, I've heard people say that if hellfire doesn't burn forever and ever, what motivation do people have to get saved or to become Christians? Well, for one thing, friends, we're forgetting how awful it is to be burned. Think about how awful it would be to be burned. But there's something even more serious to consider than that. The worst part of hellfire is knowing that you're going to be eternally separated from God for all time. That is a terrible thought, friends. Being eternally separated from God for eternity, that's the worst thing anyone could experience. That's the agony of hellfire. Knowing that you could have had life, you could have accepted the gift that Christ gave you, but now you've rejected it and you have death. You have eternal separation from God. When you could have lived forever, you now cease to exist for all of eternity. Your existence was all for nothing. It's completely over. While the rest of the universe will live on happily for all of eternity with Jesus. But friends, it doesn't have to be that way. If we put God first and if we put our complete trust in him, you can be confident that you will experience eternal, eternal life. Friends, you can be confident that you can live eternally with Jesus. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, it says, "...he who has a Son has life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life." Friends, if we have a relationship with Jesus, if we put him first in our lives, friends, we can be assured that we will spend an eternity with Jesus. Let us keep our eyes fixed on him. Many years ago, there was a story that appeared on the front page of a daily newspaper. It was a young 18-year-old girl who was driving home from her boyfriend's house late one night. She wasn't drunk, but she was tired and she wrecked her vehicle on the freeway. First, a meat delivery man stopped as he saw this accident on the side of the road, and then an off-duty police officer stopped to see if she was OK. She was able to talk to them. but She, uh, she wasn't badly injured at first, but there were two major issues. One, she was stuck. She was Her feet were trapped in the car, and she could not get out. The other problem was that the car was on fire. One would-be rescuer tried to go through the front door and, and the other through the back door, but the heat and the flames drove them back. One man did so much to try to help her that the flesh on his hands was burned all the way down to the bone as he was trying to save her. That's how much he did. She took hold of one man's arm and said, please don't leave me here. I'm going to die." They literally had to pull away from her friends. She spoke to them for about 30 seconds, and then she went quiet. Everything went quiet. And the men said it was an awful experience to witness, and they just cried. And friends, if you would have been there, if you would have seen that, you would have cried too. Approximately 6,000 years ago, there was a wreck in the Garden of Eden, And the human family became trapped in sin. But Jesus stopped. And friends, he did more than just lose the flesh on his hands. He gave his entire life for you and for me. Amen? What will you do with that? How will you respond to the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you? This morning, he knocks on the door of each of our hearts. We've learned something about the character of god today we've seen that god isn't the tyrant that many people have made him out to be in fact he is a god of love a god of mercy and a god of justice how will you respond to this god today friends he's done everything he can to prepare a place for you and for me to spend eternity with him and he wants you and i to be there will you choose to live each day for him friends Will you choose to put him first in your life? If that's your desire, I invite you to raise your hand with me as we pray. Amen. Let us, let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we've seen this morning in our presentation, Lord, that hell completely destroys the wicked. And Lord, we all deserve to die, Lord but father we thank you so much for the grace and the mercy of jesus lord for coming to this world to die for us lord to to die the second death for us lord that we might live eternally with you and lord we accept that gift once again here today we pray lord that we that you would save us into your kingdom lord that we would experience an eternity with you and we pray lord for those that are struggling with this decision still lord maybe they have one foot in the church one foot in the world. We pray, Lord, that you would help them to see that now is the time to make a full surrender to you. Now is the time, Lord, to put you first in our lives. Lord, we see things happening in this world that prophecy has foretold for for millennia. And Lord, we pray that these things would be wake-up calls to us, helping us to see that now is the time, Lord, to put our faith and trust in you. Lord, to live 100% for you. We pray, Lord, for those that may not know you at this time, Lord. We think of our loved ones. We think of family members, Lord, that aren't walking with you right now. We think of our neighbors, Lord, maybe co-workers that are living out in the world, Lord, they're doing their own thing. They're living it up, so to speak. But Lord, they're living without you. And Lord, as we've seen tonight we've seen this morning, Lord, that that hell is eternal separation from you. Lord, help them that got help them to not get used to being separated from you, Lord. Help it to bother them, Lord. Help them to not have peace. If they don't have a relationship with you lord you will bring peace to us lord when we have that relationship with you lord you bring perfect peace to our lives and we pray lord that you would do whatever it takes lord to save our loved ones into your kingdom lord be with each one of us lord may we share the good news with others lord and father we thank you that your word says that you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked lord you do not want anyone to perish lord you want people to turn From their wickedness lord to turn from their evil ways and turn to you and so lord today we turn to you lord we look at your beautiful face and we pray lord that, that as we look at you lord that the things of this world would grow strangely dim lord bless each one of us as we live for you may you live in our hearts and may we reflect your love to those that we come in contact with each day lord we pray in jesus name amen